Well, I'll tell you, I'm off to a good start tonight. Mylon has already threatened me, and uh, my wife came to me as we were shaking hands. Is that feedback? Can you hear that feedback? It's feeding back, isn't it? Well, it may have to go to this mic. I don't know. But anyway, my wife came to me and said that my jacket was button crooked, and uh, it's good to have a good wife that straightens you out. But I appreciate that tonight. I appreciate you folks being here. And uh, I just want to say that it is a privilege to stand behind what I call the sacred desk. There's nothing, you know, this wood is just wood, but this is a place where God's people, where God's men have stood in the past and the present and preached the Word of God. And I'm humbled tonight. Uh, We've heard some good preaching today. Brother Josh brought a great message, and it's from the Word of God. And uh, you'll see tonight, I, I thought that Brother, uh, Brother Gary was going to uh, get into what I was speaking about tonight, but it's something how the Lord would lay something on your heart weeks in advance, uh, days in advance, and you see how that some of it is actually dovetails together with what other people have spoken about. Tonight, I'd like for us to open our Bibles up to Second Chronicles. Now, that's where it's coming from tonight, Second Chronicles chapter 7. Familiar verses. Now we're going to be going back to First Chronicles as well. And uh, someone said, uh, I don't know if it's Brother Riley or not. He he saw my Bible. He said, "Where are you preaching?" I said, "I'm going from Genesis to Revelation tonight, and uh, we're going to see what happens." And once again, when you see a preacher look back at that clock, it means absolutely nothing. And so, uh, and I asked Brother Josh. I said, "When when should I quit? Uh, Eight o'clock?" And uh, I don't think he caught what he said. Whenever you're finished. And uh, but I was I was joking about that eight o'clock maybe. So tonight we want to look at Second Chronicles chapter seven, and in this chapter of Second Chronicles chapter seven, uh, there's something that is offered. There's something that is conditioned upon the word if. Uh, Brother Gary mentioned this morning about uh, covenants, and uh, this. This came into it. And this, as we look at this tonight, <clears throat> we might consider this as somewhat of a covenant that we're going to look at tonight. But a conditional covenant and an unconditional covenant, these are two covenants that we find in the Word of God. We see the conditional covenants. We see one of those with Adam. God told him, he says, don't eat of that tree that, uh, that's going to cause death. Uh, when you eat of it, you're going to die. And of course, we know that uh, man dies physically and man dies uh, spiritually. He's dead spiritually until it comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So it was conditioned on what Adam would do. And of course, Adam did not do what he should have done and therefore plunged mankind into sin. And the Bible says that uh, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We sometimes blame Adam, but uh, you know uh, we know that that it was uh, because of Adam's sin that we've all been plunged there. But man has a choice to make. Man has a responsibility to God, and I think of, as I study the Word of God and and I see the covenants, the conditional covenants and the unconditional covenants. I think of one particular unconditional covenant, and that is known as the New Covenant. That is the covenant where God does it all. All we do is accept what God has given us, and that is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
So a conditional covenant is when a person is supposed to do something in order for that to take place, for something that is going to happen. Unconditional is uh, when we're thinking of the word of God, that God says it's going to be like this. It is done. And I think uh, as I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, how that he saved me and I realized that I was saved forever and nothing could change that. That was an unconditional covenant with God. Well, in chapter 3, go back to chapter 3 with me if you would, in Second Chronicles. In chapter 3, in verse 1, notice what the Bible says there. It says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Well, it says there, and I've just read that, that Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. You know, I am so glad that our president chose to say that Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. Because, you know, now, he wasn't the first one. Uh, the president's not the first one that said that is so. God said it way back here that that is where the temple was to be built, and that is the place that God chose well, why did Solomon want the threshing floor? Why did he want this? Well, I'll tell you, it was the same reason that his father wanted the threshing floor. In 1 Chronicles, go back there with me now if you would, 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Now, we're going to come back to chapter 7. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, we read about this, about Ornan, uh, or Ornan, however you want to pronounce that name, and the threshing floor. It says in 1 Chronicles chapter 21 and verse 22, Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it me for the full price. He didn't want it for nothing. He said, I'm going to pay the full price. Notice what he says, what it's for, that the plague may be stayed from the people. Now, if you go back and read the account in this chapter, uh, chapter 21 of 1 Chronicles, you'll find out why there was a plague. David had chosen to do something that God didn't want him to do. In fact, in uh, verse 21, let's read that. Verse 21, in, uh, chapter 21, verse 15, you read about the plague. And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. Well, why did God send a plague? In verse 1 of Second Chronicles 21, or First Chronicles 21, it says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. David listened to the devil instead of listening to God. Would to God today that we would listen more to the Lord than the devil. You say, you mean the devil uh, tricks Christians? Yeah, he sure does. We've got to stay on top of the things. We've got to look into the Word of God and stay, if, you'd, uh, if I could say this, you've got to stay ahead of the devil. And I've often thought, you know, we, we give him credit for a lot of things, but, you know, I've always said this, the devil's pretty dumb. He is dumb. He's finished. And uh, the Bible says, uh, we read that, that the, the devils, the demons, they know the Word of God, but yet they keep on going. The devil knows that he's defeated but he keeps on going, and he says, you know, I, I still believe that he thinks he's going to kill the Lord. 
He's done. Because God is not going to allow that to happen. Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Well, David listened to Satan instead of the Lord. Well, what did he do? He numbered the people. He had the people numbered, and this is not what the Lord wanted. So therefore, God sent a plague. Now notice in 1 Chronicles 21, 7, uh, it says, And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he smote Israel. Now David paid Ornan for the threshing floor to offer what? A sacrifice. 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 25. So David gave to Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold by weight. Now, David sacrificed, and then the Bible says, and the Lord commanded the angel. Remember, the, the angel was going through killing people, and uh, I believe if you read that, you'll see that there were, there were 70,000 that the angel of the Lord slew in that place in Israel. So David gave to Ornan for the place 600 shekels of silver, and the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up his sword again into the sheath thereof. Well, Solomon knew all of this. Solomon knew this is where the temple of the Lord was supposed to be built. He wanted to do this not for himself, but because of the Lord. He was listening to the voice of the Lord. Now go back with me now into 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, chapter 3. Now we read verse 1. Now verse 2 says, And he began to build, this is uh, Solomon, And he began to build in the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. Now this verse tells us when Solomon began to build and continues in verse 3 through chapter 4, verse 22, telling us how he was to build. In other words, he was listening to the voice of God. He was listening to the, under the direction of the Lord. We see in verse 5 that the work Solomon had started in chapter 3 was finished. Verse 2 tells us the Ark of the Covenant was to be brought up from the city of David, which is Zion. And verse 5 says the Ark was brought up. Now if you read this in verse 10, you'll find out that only the two tables of Moses was contained in that Ark, the Ten Commandments. Now in Second Chronicles Chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, it says this. It came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house. How I long to see the glory of the Lord fill the houses of God. How I long to see the glory of the Lord come down in such a way that man cannot explain what is happening. Now verses 13 and 14 of chapter 5 tells us that praise to the Lord brought down the glory of the Lord and his house was filled with his glory. Now bear with me. Chapter 6. Chapter 6 of Second Chronicles. Next, after what we've read, next, Solomon preaches a sermon. 
First, verses 1 and 2, where God would dwell. Verse 3, Solomon blessed the people. Verse 4, Solomon blessed. He praised the Lord God of Israel. Verse 5, the history of God of not choosing. God said this, I chose no city among all the tribes of Israel to build a house in that my name might be there. Neither chose I any man to be ruler over my uh, people Israel. And then in verse 6, the history of God choosing. He said, I have chosen Jerusalem. Verse 7, the history of the heart of David. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 7, it says, Now it was in the heart of David, my father. Remember Solomon's preaching. Now it was in the heart of David, my father, to build an house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Well, we go on in verses 8 and 9, and it says that this is the history of denying David to build the house of God. David's son Solomon would build the house. Well, why would Solomon build the house? David was a man who was a bloody man, according to the scriptures. Now, we often think that because of his adultery with Bathsheba, that this is the reason that God said, you're not going to build my house. Now, it may have played a part in it, but the real reason is David was a man of war. He was a bloody man, and yet God said about David that he was a man after his own heart. And that tells me there's hope for anyone in this world to know Jesus Christ as Savior. It makes no difference how low you've sunk, how bad you are. God says, I'm willing to save you the way I've saved anyone else in this world. Now, in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 6, we see the history is complete. Verses 12 through 42, Solomon's prayer of dedicating the temple of God. Now in chapter 7, verse 1, notice what happened. Verse 1, prayer brings down the fire of God from heaven and the Lord's glory fills the house. This means there was a heavy presence of the Lord. It says, now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. How long has it been since you've been in a place where the glory of the Lord has filled the house? I'm not talking about people running around chanting, people running around raising their arms. I'm not talking about loud music. I'm talking about the glory of the Lord that comes down and touches the people, touches the heart of God's people. Would to God we could see more of that. Would to God we could see that every time we come into this building or any church of the Lord's. Now notice verse 2. Priests are unable to enter the house of the Lord because of God's glory. They couldn't enter because the presence of the Lord was so great in that place. Verse 3. The children of Israel see fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house. They bowed, they worshiped, they praised and said, He, the Lord, is good. Why? His mercy endureth forever. This is a God of judgment. And we need to pray for God's mercy today on this country of ours, on this world of ours, on the churches of this country and the world. Verses 4 through 9 tells us of the feasts and offerings. Verse 10, Solomon sends the people away. The people are glad and merry in heart for God's goodness toward David and Solomon. 
Notice verse 10, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And on the three and twentieth day of the seventh month, he sent the people away into their tents, glad and merry in heart for the goodness that the Lord had showed unto David and to Solomon and, and to Israel, his people. And verse 11, the house is finished. The job is done. Verse 12, God appears to Solomon and says he has heard his prayer. God tells Solomon, he, that's God, had chosen this place, the temple to himself, for an house of sacrifice. That's just the introduction. Now we get into the good part. Now what we read has been real good. But now we get into the four ifs of God. There's a lot of ifs in this chapter. There's a lot of ifs in the word of God. But I want, to, I want us to look at this tonight from this section of Scripture, these four ifs of God. Just before we do that, let's bow. Father, you know I can't stand here without you. I cannot do this without you. And I pray tonight that you would, Lord, speak to hearts. Speak through me, Lord, tonight. Not my words, but your words. May your word go forth tonight. May we leave this place know that, knowing that we've been in the presence of you. Not because of me, not because of anyone in this building except you, Lord. May you receive the honor and glory as we study your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. The four ifs of God. Now notice with me in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 13. God says, if I shut up heaven and there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. Here's some ifs. The first if. God says, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. No rain means a drought. Well, we don't have a drought right now outside, do we? I mean, it's been raining. But I want you to know tonight that right now, that in our world there is a drought. There is a drought. And I might say this, that there's a drought in our churches tonight. And I say our churches, I'm talking about those who are, who, who, uh, are supposed to be preaching the Word of God. There is a drought. There is no preaching of the Word in many churches. Many churches are not having service tonight. We passed several on the way. Now we passed one that has a food bank that is not open either. And I thank God for good food banks. They serve a purpose. But this is the food bank of God. This is it right here. This is where we get our spiritual food. In the word of God. There is no preaching of the word anymore in many churches. You just have people standing up telling funny stories. And uh, they may something, say something about Milan or someone else. And, and uh, brother, I don't mean to pick. Yeah, I do mean to pick on you. Okay. But that's a little different than just standing up and telling a lot of funny stories and, and trying to uh, fit in with the people and asking the people, well, what do you want? What would you have me preach on? You know there's preachers that actually do that. They say, well, what would you people like me to preach on? What would you people like for our songs to be? And bless God, I thank God for this church, that this church stands on the Word of God, our preacher, 
preaches the Word of God, Brother Josh preaches, Brother Gary, all of the people who stand behind this pulpit preach the Word of God. But there's a drought in our land today. There's a drought, no preaching of the Word, no winning of souls. I've actually had people look at me and say, I saved 20 people today. Not in this church. I haven't heard that. Well, let me say, you don't save anyone. It's God who does the saving. It's God who uh, lets us plant the seed of the word, and then he takes it and plants it in that heart, hopefully to a point of where that person says, yes, I want Jesus as my Savior. Well, there's no winning of souls, and there is no revival. Our cry to God tonight needs to be, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years make known, in wrath remember mercy. There's the word mercy again. We need to ask God's mercy tonight on our country. We need to ask God's mercy tonight on those men who call themselves men of God, who are not standing in the pulpit tonight preaching the word of God. We need to ask God's mercy on those preachers who are standing in the pulpit tonight who are not preaching the word of God. We need to ask God's mercy on the people who would despitefully use us. We need revival. And I don't mean all the people. I mean you. I mean me. If you study about revivals, you'll see that revivals start with people, one person. You'll see that it spreads because God uses that person. It's, a, it's like a spark. And I'm going to speak about this in just a moment. We're going to see something else about a spark. But God uses people. God uses individuals to do his bidding, to do what he wants to do. No revival in our country and in our churches today. Notice the second if. He says in that verse, in verse 13, if I command the locusts to devour the land. Right now, our world, our churches, they're being devoured, they're being eaten freely. First, by the locusts of humanism, socialism. You know, I was uh, saved in 1972. Some of you may not have been born, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because... I don't know if any, I see some over here that may be born after that. I don't know. But in 1972, I gave my heart to the Lord. And from then on, I started watching things. I started comparing. I started looking at the Word of God. I started watching. And uh, every year, every time an election comes up, I say, well, this is the most important election we've ever had. Well, folks, I believe the next year is going to be the most important election that we've ever had. Right now... We look around and we see humanism coming on the scene. Well, it's been around for years. We see socialism coming on the scene. Well, it's been on, on the scene for years. But right now, you have homosexuals who are running for president. Right now, you have socialism, socialists who are running for president. That means they want what you and I have. If we have anything, they want that and they want to spread it out. And let me say that socialism is nothing but communism. I remember in the coal fields, coal fields of West Virginia, we'd be going into Charleston, and on those old back roads, we'd come through there, and, and they'd have these little huts set up where you know, the buses would stop, and, and, 
and all of this, and I would look over and I'd see a sign that says, Mayday! Now, if I ask you what Mayday is, some of you wouldn't even know what that is. We uh, may have forgotten what that is. That is a communist heyday. That is a communist thing that people celebrate. Communism. Well, when I saw those things, I would jump out of the car and I would have my can of spray paint and I would spray over that. Somebody says, well, uh, isn't that defacing somebody's property? They don't believe in that. That's not their property. According to what they believe, they believe that it's everybody's property. And folks, we need to stand up for the word of God. We need to take a stand. And right now you have people who are running for government who needs to be run out of the country. Now, we also have the locus of unbelief. We speak of the unbelief of the unsaved, but saved people are in the state of unbelief. Some of God's people have unbelief of God's power to save. Well, I've told this guy about salvation for years, and he's just not getting saved. I've seen this guy. Well, keep on telling him. Let him know that the power of God can save. Keep telling these people that God saves God's people have the unbelief and they believe that uh, there's no power in prayer. That's because some don't even pray. They don't pray. And I believe that just as we are on our knees and we kneel down, I believe that we can stay on our knees even while we're walking and talking with the Lord. That's the same as being on our knees and talking with the Lord. Pray without ceasing and let God know that you love him. And some of God's people have unbelief in Jesus coming for the church, the rapture. Some say, well, you know, you've been talking about this for years and he hasn't come back. And the Bible even speaks of this in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4. It says, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 tells us why he hasn't come back. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't know about you, but I'm looking for the Lord. I believe that he could come back while we're in this building. I believe that we could be caught out of here at any moment. But thank God, even if I don't go in the rapture at that time, if the breath of life leaves me, I know that I will be with the Lord. But the rapture is going to happen. Do you know you actually have some church preachers who believe that we are going to, the church is going to go through the tribulation? They, I'm talking about Bible believing, Bible preaching, quote unquote, churches, pastors who believe that we are going to go through all except 42 days of the tribulation. Well, bless God, let them stay here. I'm going. I'm not going to wait around. I'm going to go to be with the Lord. And I pray that you will too. And I pray that you know Jesus as your Savior. Notice unbelief. The locus of unbelief. And also notice this. Unbelief leads to apathy. The locus of apathy. This is a lack of interest or concern. No, well, what will be will be. And, uh, you know... Um, this, some people don't understand why I don't like this term. It is what it is. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. It is what it is. To me, that's apathy. That's saying, well, it's going to happen anyway, so let it go ahead and happen. Well, that's the locus of apathy. Well, how does apathy happen? 
I'll tell you one way it happens is through compromise. Compromise means straddling the fence. In other words, not standing for anything, being in the middle. And there's once again is where a lot of pastors are at tonight. They try to straddle the fence. And we're seeing souls go to hell because of the lack of interest, because of compromise. Leadership. When the leadership of a local church ignores admonitions found in the Bible, compromise and complacency result. Titus chapter 2 and verse 7 says, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. So, the second if, the locus of humanism, the locus of unbelief, the locus of apathy, and then the third if, if I send pestilence among my people. Remember now, there was a plague that came in David's time. He paid the price. The people paid the price. 70,000, I've read in the Word of God, 70,000 people, men, were, were slain. There, there was a plague. The third if, if I send pestilence among my people. Pestilence means plague. My people means a congregated unit, a called out group. And right now in our world, many Christians have the plague. It's the plague of being unsavory. No preserving power. Salt. Salt, as you may or may not know, is a preservative. Salt keeps from decay. I remember growing up that my dad used to have uh, hogs and cattle and killed and, you know, butchered. And he would bring some of that home. Of course, we would eat it. But some of those hams, I remember those hams. They were good He'd bring those hams home, and we had a little room. We'd put those hams in, and he'd put, that, he'd put all the flavorings on it and salt. He'd put salt to keep that from decaying. Well, right now, the country is decaying. Don't blame the unsaved. We must blame ourselves. We must blame the saved people of this world who have lost the salt. Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor... Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Now, if I were to ask you tonight, how many of you are on a salt-free diet? Several people would raise their hands, I'm sure. But if I, if, if I study enough and go to Google, I know, that, I know that it takes a little bit of sodium to put a spark in the heart, doesn't it? We need the spark of salt in ourselves tonight as God's people to go out and get the job done. If I could encourage you and say, look, we need to get the job done. We need to, yeah, the tracks are outside this door. There's hundreds of them. Pick up a track, take the track, and let people know that you love them by handing them the word of God. There's a plague. Being uncaring. Psalm 142, verse 4, I looked on my right hand and beheld... There was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. And I want to read you something that I wrote several years ago. A witness for Christ I would be if only the time I had you see. But time is something I haven't a lot. Just 24 hours is all that I've got. 
don't get me wrong, I'm not too busy for Christ. Why, you can see me in church each, re each week thrice. Yes, three times a week in church you'll see me. I know that's a lot, but that's my part, you see. My tithes and offerings you'll see me pay. Why, I put in $5 just today. My life is well-rounded in every case. Christ is right there taking third place. Yes, my life on earth is something unique. A word or a witness for Christ, I'll not speak. Why, that's for the preacher who gets paid well. After all, it's his job to go and tell. And yet, when he stands in the pulpit to preach, he says, it's our job, the lost man, to reach. But when I explain that there's not enough time, he says the next one in hell just might be a brother of mine. I don't let these words bother me, though, or words like, you'll reap what you sow. The preacher doesn't realize the price he does ask to give up some leisure would be such a task. So this week, while others on visitation do go, I'll be home watching TV or at a Hollywood show. God doesn't expect me to miss the pleasure I seek while there's just not enough time for Christ in a 168-hour week. Folks, we all have the same amount of time. We all need to be serving God. We all need to be doing what God wants us to do. And when that happens, we can stay the plague. We can see the plague of the things that come into this world, into our lives, into the lives of Christians. We can see those halted if we do what God wants us to do. Well, notice now, that's the third if. If I send pestilence among my people, the fourth if. Notice this. The weight of victory. The fourth if. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, <clears throat> then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. How to recover from the ifs of Second Chronicles 7.13. If my people, which are called by my name, shall what? Humble themselves. Who is humble? Who is to be humble? My people, he says. Humble means to bend, to bow down, to bow the knee in subjection to God. We are here tonight to get fed from the Word of God. We are here tonight, in actuality, to praise God. We are here tonight to raise Him up, to exalt Him. We're to pray. Perfect prayer is this. is praying that God will be glorified in the answered prayer. We need to pray and expect God to do wondrous things for His glory. Not for our glory, but for His glory. Now notice, pray means to first, as a people, stay on guard against sin. In ourselves as God's people... Matthew 26, 41, Jesus said, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray means to also intercede. Ask God to forgive those people who are not living for him. Intercessory prayer is praying on someone else's behalf. Prayer means to entreat, to ask God urgently for help. He says, and seek my face. Seek would be to beseech, to beg God urgently. Look to God's guidance. God says, 
my face. Genesis 32.30 talks about a man who saw God's face. Now I know you say, well, there's another contradiction in the Bible. It says no man has seen God's face. We see Moses. He's, he's in the cleft of the rock. But I know what the Bible says here. There is no contradictions in the word of God. It says here in Genesis 32.30, And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Would to God that we could see God face to face. But you can. Look in His Word. Look in His Word. Close your eyes. Read the Word of God. Pray. Seek His face. Let God speak to your heart. And let Him guide your path as saved people. Well, turn from their wicked ways. Go in the opposite direction. The Bible says here, God is not speaking to the unsaved here. He's speaking to us. Save people tonight. His people. Turn back. Turn away from sin. Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. A lot of churches have closed. A lot of churches are no more. Churches that used to stand for the word of God. Preachers that used to preach the word of God. They're gone. Churches are closed tonight because people have not turned away from sin. I'm speaking of saved people. If we confess our sins, he is just and you know he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now notice, I'm almost finished here, and I want you to listen to this verse. God says in Second Chronicles seven fourteen, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If God's people do as God asks, he says, then will I hear from heaven. Get God's attention. Then will I forgive their sin. Then will I heal their land. God will heal, cure, and repair thoroughly. Make whole if we go his way. Now, if we listen to God, of what he says in verse 14, then verse 15 of Second Chronicles 7 will be the result. Now mine eyes shall be open, and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made where? In this place. In this place. Can we afford not to pray this prayer? Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Now, if you've come tonight, if you're listening, if you do not know God's law, that is no excuse for not knowing the God of the law. You have no excuse tonight of not knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says there is a hell. There is a heaven. There's a choice to be made. Your choice is whether or not you're on your way to heaven. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know Him tonight? If you were to die right now, where would you go? Would you go to heaven? Would you go to hell? 
Jesus spoke more on hell than he did on heaven. Why? Because he doesn't want you going there. He wants you to know him as Lord and Savior. And save person tonight. Are you living for him? Are you doing what you need to be doing? Are you passing out tracts? Do you let people know that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? May I invite you to, once again, as you walk out these doors tonight, if you haven't been, pick up a track, pick up several tracks, and hand them out and start witnessing for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.